This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Gin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards 1 million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest, and fun chats with your favorite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. I'm doing something a little bit different. This is episode two. I'm just sort of documenting verbally uh, my draft to publish book, my first junior fiction novel. I wasn't sure how it was going to go, so I thought, look, I'll just do an episode one. If no one listens, no harm done. But it seems like it's actually been far more popular than I had anticipated, which is really cool. So I shall continue. (laughs) It is a little bit weird being a little monologue, but um, I'm not going to listen to it again. (laughs) So I hope something um, is really helpful in here for you, no matter what stage you're writing you're at. I just know that I would have wanted this, you know, before I wrote my junior fiction. So sort of a a pay it forward, if you like. So episode two, I'm going to answer all of your questions that I got from social media. And I'm going to talk about early readers. And if you do have any more questions that you've thought of from this episode or the last, um, or something you'd like to know about in the future, please um, do drop me a line. Socials is usually the best place because I I love socials. I'm addicted to socials and I have no intention of curbing that addiction. Um, So thanks for joining this monologue of how my junior fiction, um, I'd like to say came to be, but is still in progress of coming to be, if that makes sense. So I'm going to start with the questions um, I received from socials. It's only my experiences though. I'm definitely not an expert and do not claim to be. So this is just my perspective and it's always a good idea to speak to as many people as you can and learn as much as you can about this craft that is slippery and very hard to hold in your hands. So question one is from Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Um, What do you do when you're stuck for ideas? (laughs) The, The answer is this is always me, always. Sometimes I'll have a good idea like My Extraordinary Mum, which I in fact thought of um, in the car driving home from my day job. And this particular junior fiction, How Not To, was kind of a a to and fro between uh, me and James, my publisher, for this book. Uh, And then as I was writing it, I sort of came into the idea. I find that when I'm not trying to think of an idea, they come at me much better. So in the car, stuck in traffic, uh, in the shower, 
on a walk, although my walks aren't very quiet because I've got kids and a dog, um, but they seem to be the best times where I come up or sadly when I'm mopping. <laughs> so when I'm not thinking about ideas, they tend to, to drop into my brain. But I think the most important thing is to find people you can talk to and find people that you can trust. Um, they also need to understand what you're doing and where you're coming from, because otherwise the ideas, you know, may not match what's in your brain. I run a lot of my ideas um, with just a, a really few amount of people who I really trust. So definitely um, my mate Adrian Beck, I don't even know if he knows that I'm running these ideas past him because I just talk at him a lot. Um, but he's really good at that kind of thing and I really trust and expect his opinion and I think we're at the um, friendship level of he can tell me, no, that's stupid and it's not going to work and I'll be like, okay, cool, what about this one? So I think I really trust him as well. Um, <clears throat> James as well, my publisher for this book, is amazing at coming up with ideas. The concept for My Epic Dad was his idea, as is um, one of the other JFIX that I'm currently writing. It's at its 10,000 out of 15,000 words. Um, so I love to throw ideas around with James because we have a very similar brain and thought process, but he also comes up with things that I don't think about. So you need to find the people that you trust and the people who know what you want to do, but add to the ideas that you have without kind of hijacking those ideas or ruining them. And he's really great with that. Um, also, I'm represented by Rochelle from Alex Adset Literary Agent, and I'll ask her, I mean, I've only been signed for the last couple of months, but I've been asking her what she wants me to write. The, my first um, meeting with her was about writing a JFIC, and she was very clear about, you know, I think this is what we would want. And so I wrote that. And then as NaNoWriMo was coming up, I'm going to give middle grade a crack. Never done that before, because I think 50K just fits nicely in NaNoWriMo. And I just said, you know, have you got any ideas of what I can write? And she threw me an idea that I never probably would have thought of at this stage in my writing. So I'm going to go forth with that idea um, and it's NaNoWriMo. So I think it's the perfect time to experiment with that. So I think just asking those trusted people, those people who have knowledge of the industry, coming up with ideas yourself, maybe in a writer's group. And I've got to say, my own kids, they're so great at coming up with ideas as well. I often read them my first chapter of books because they're brutally honest and they'll tell me when they're not funny or not engaging and they'll say hey what if this happened so there is a a, a chapter in this book where something uh very terrible happens to my protagonist or when i say terrible embarrassing happens to my protagonist riley and my son actually came up with that idea so that is really cool it's got something to do with the class pet that's all i'll tell you at this moment <laughs> But I think um, as well, really leaning to what you are passionate about. Um, so whatever you're passionate about, I think that's really important because that will come through because, you know, that's a topic that you feel strongly about. So I often lean into, um, you know, things like feminism um, and women's identity, which I did in My Extraordinary Mum. And I'm also doing that with my female protagonists in the two junior fiction books that I've written, one with Larrikin House, one with my um, agent. And I'm gonna do that with my NaNoWriMo one as well. And also I'm really, really passionate about promoting positive mental health because of my own mental health 
challenges that I uh, live with. And so leaning into those passionate things as well. But I also really like to write funny books. I think they, they relieve me from, you know, the anxiety that I do experience quite often. So I think the sillier, the more present and the funnier I can try to be and wacky, I think that really takes me out of my own head as well. So look, stuck for ideas. For me, it's talking it through, talking it through or doing some of those um, jobs that don't require you to think. And then my brain seems to open up and get those ideas. I'm not even sure if that's helpful, Lauren, but (laughs) I think everyone struggles with that. (laughs) They're coming up of ideas, but I think, you know, our world is so interesting and complex and diverse. So Sometimes I just like to go out to a cafe and, you know, my partner is the same and we just like to people watch. And I think you do come up with lots of ideas, particularly for character um, when you do that. I mean, come out and sit at a cafe at Fitzroy and the people are the most interesting people in the world there, I think. And you can't not help come up with an idea, particularly for character. Uh, Question two, Hayley. Best JFIC to read to get an idea of voice and structure. I think this really depends on what you're writing and for what purpose. I mean, I think you should write, read widely in any genre that you want to write in so you can really lean into that voice you love or you can determine what you don't want to do and what you don't like. I think it's important also to read what has resonated with kids around the world. I mean, no matter what you think about those books, personally, there has to be something in these books that is special or has resonated with kids. And I, although I, you know, have a literary degree and I was an English teacher, I pride myself on not being a literary snob. And so I read everything. And as long as it's sort of well-written, I appreciate whatever's written. And I think I can learn from everything that I consume. For me, I like to read what my kids are reading. Uh, My son was obsessed with Wimpy Kids, still is. Um, And it's a good example, I think, of pushing boundaries for kids. And I love reading what Kenny comes up with next because he takes ideas right to the edge of almost being inappropriate, but then brings it back just before, you know, the parent wants to grab the book and go, you can't read that. So the short answer is, I think, read widely in the genre that you want to write in and read those books, those smaller, quieter books, and then read those big books that have made a splash, read everything in between, and then see what resonates with you and see what resonates with the kids. It's really good to be able to tap into kids if you've got your own or if, you know, you do school visits, etc. because kids will tell you straight away what's funny and not. They don't care if they hurt your feelings. And if you want to write funny books, read as many funny books as you can. Um, Speak to or listen to as many funny authors as you can. I'm very fortunate in my group of, um, you know, authory friends that, I have Adam and Adrian and, you know, other people that are very funny or wacky or have this dark humour like Rob McDonald. And so we often will sort of just chat and throw around ideas or talk about the techniques of humour. Um, so I think, yeah, just, just tapping into as much as you can. I think I, I sort of said, I was talking to someone the other day about the amount of books that we read. And I think the average person reads about four books a year, which is, you know, pretty I think that's pretty true because of all the other things we've got to do in in life. Um, But because of the podcast and because I was an English teacher, I was reading about 80 books a year. I haven't been able to do that (laughs) for the last two years. I think my brain's exploded. Uh, But I think the more you can read and the more you consume, you have to learn from that, right? And it's, it's psychologically proven that the more books you read, it changes your brain, hopefully for the positive, depending on what you're reading, I guess. But um, I think the more you can read and the more you can consume of that really good quality, fun books, I think 
you have to take something from that you know and I, I'm a true believer that you can't be a good writer if you're not a really avid reader question three for Yona how do you get started with a jfic plot and drama generation <laughs> wow well this book that I'm talking about took a long time to find its feet <laughs> so I don't even know if I'm the right person to ask I think perseverance is one backing yourself is another and trusting that you're going to get there it took me 18 months to figure out the first three chapters because they weren't funny they weren't fun they weren't right the voice wasn't right and I knew that I didn't know how to make it right but how I did that was I just kept going and kept rewriting and kept going back and I felt each time I was chipping away at the action I was chipping away at who these characters were until eventually eight months believe it or not later I was like oh okay I finally know who you are Riley and I finally then know who her friends are and who her parents are and so I think really I just think it's it's perseverance and trusting and backing yourself <clears throat> that you're going to get there and I really didn't know if I was going to get there because I don't have you know I remember I was talking to Jack Keith he's like he's got all these books up there so even when he has self-doubt he can go hang on I've done this before I didn't have that to fall back on I didn't have the whole bookshelf of books I've written to fall back on I just knew that I had to push through and that I, I would do it no matter how long it took but once I had the characters um you know, I, I wanted to start with this character. And for Jay Fick, I wanted a female protagonist who acted outside of those sort of often female stereotypes. I wanted her to be wacky and weird. And I wanted to see how that panned out and what that looked like. My daughter is that kind of wacky, weird, class clown, funny person. And she often finds it difficult to find herself in books. And so this was kind of looking at her and going well what would you like to read and how could you see yourself in a female character because often not all the time but often those wacky funny characters are boys um so once i had the character she needed friends and parents and i just started writing i have tried to plan i have tried to use post-it notes i've tried to color code things and write lists and it never works for me i just get so bored and i just doesn't work so lean into whatever it is if you're a planner plan if you're a pantser like me just get writing i think it's longer in the end the writing process because you don't really know where you're going but i like that about writing that excites me about writing and so i just like to go in with a couple of concepts and ideas and go bam let's go and then i'll in the middle of writing I'm like oh and this can happen but you know also sometimes like oh i don't know what on earth can happen now so you know i think there are pros and cons to both but it's just i think from speaking to a number of writers on the podcast, I think you just are who you are. You know, you're either a planner or you're a, um, a pantser and that's just who you are. So I think lean into whatever that is because that's what is going to work for you and that's what's probably going to come easier. Now that I've accepted that I'm a pantser, even though I really wanted to be a planner, um, that's the way I write and I enjoy that process far more than, oh, what things have to happen in this chapter now? It doesn't work for my brain. So what I did was I came into this book with a concept, um, with a character, with a ridiculous scenario, and then I just wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. First ideas don't always work out, they really do. And I'm glad that I pushed through because I actually really love, I'm at the editing stage now, second round, and I'm really loving you know, the voices and the characters. They feel real to me, I'm sure that's <laughs> what every writer says. But I think you've just got to write and write and write as much as you can until you find the voice. And don't settle for a voice that isn't quite right because a publisher is going to smell that a mile off and a kid is too. 
we want to rush it. I get it. I remember when I was a completely unpublished author, I wanted to rush it. I wanted to finish these books and finish these manuscripts and get a book published. But unless the voice is right, it's never going to get published. So in the long run, it probably ends up being a longer process. Find the voice, find the first scene that's going to engage, that's going to ground your reader, that's going to give you, you know, the idea of what's to come and the page turners. And hopefully more ideas will come from there. That's what I count on. So I come in with a concept and I just start writing. I think the writing process is longer, but on the upside, there's absolutely zero planning stage. (laughs) So you save time there, I think. Uh, Question four is from the author Stormy Knight um, Instagram handle. Is it easier to write junior lit or junior fic versus a picture book? I don't think writing is easy at all ever. (laughs) I think they both require very different skills. um, And I think either one is going to be hard. You think picture books are going to be easier because they're less words, but within those words, 250 to 500 words, you are required to do so much. You are required to create likable characters, an interesting concept, a conflict, a climax, story, humor, fun, maybe a message, all in under 400 words. If we rhyme it, we've got to make sure our rhyme is perfect, that it isn't hijacking the story. If it's prose, we need to make sure that, you know, there's some sort of flow or meter or rhythm. There is so much you have to do in a picture book. So even though it's a minimal amount of words, what you're expected to do within those words is really hard. But the main difference for me in the two was writing humour in picture books and writing humour in junior fiction. So when I wrote my epic dad, long story short, first draft, my publisher didn't laugh at all, mildly amused. I think he started making a spreadsheet while I was reading it to him. So I said, all right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to go back and I'm going to have a look at where the humour is in this. And when I figured out that I'd used four stanzas, that's 16 precious lines, to set up the narrative that they're going camping, I was like, why am I needing four spreads for that? That should be one stanza. They're going camping. And then what I want to do is each spread thereafter, I set up as a little joke. So it had the little narrative and then it had building up to the ridiculous and then it almost had the punchline, which is the you know ridiculous or terrible thing that happens to my epic dad on each spread. And so each spread had what I hope is humour or ridiculousness. And that's what got that manuscript over the line. And that's the sort of template that I followed for the following epic dads that are coming out fishing extreme uh, Christmas and another one after that. So using that kind of formula really worked for me. So of course, what I did was when I jumped into JFIC, I thought I needed a joke on every page or every paragraph. So what happened was when I read the first couple of paragraphs to my publisher, it was just chaotic. There was no space for the jokes. And it was like, it's actually what my brain looks like in real life. So there's an insight to that. And what it was, it was just so chaotic that the characters, the jokes, everything got lost. And so what I realized in junior fiction is that you actually need to create space for the jokes and you need to include more character and more setting and more quiet moments. So it's kind of like a roller coaster, if you like. So you've got that slow build, you know, the terrifying build before then you go crashing down and then you've got a little bit of a break again before you go up and down. And so 
my question was, well, you wanted a joke on every spread for the picture book. What do you want for a JFIC? And it was, well, probably two or three key funny jokey moments in a whole chapter. I was like, oh, I've got, you know, five jokes on each page. So really taking them out, creating space for my characters was something that I had to learn when going from picture book to JFIC. So that was my biggest challenge. I love writing picture books, I think, because I was an English teacher and I love teaching poetry and I really like poetry. So I find picture books, they sort of, I don't want to say come came naturally because I, f- I still find them really tough, but it's a really enjoyable experience. Now JFIC, 15,000 words is a really enjoyable experience, but it's an absolutely different process. So, yeah, for me, the jokes, the space and all those things you've got to fit into picture books. So I, I really can't say which is easier. They're just very different, you know, very different. And, you know, I think some picture books for me have taken just as long <laughs> as writing a JFIC because a lot of my process is thinking. And, you know, I remember my publisher saying, have you got this written yet? You got this written yet? I said, oh, look, really? I know it sounds like a cop-out, but 80% I reckon of my writing is thinking, 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 thinking about characters and setting and all these other things. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to write. Or thinking when I was writing this JFIC that the first three chapters were wrong or the voice wasn't right, or it wasn't funny enough, constantly thinking, thinking, thinking about how I could improve them. So, yeah, don't underestimate or undermine that thinking time. I think it's really important. Um, Marissa asks, I'd love to hear more about the humour techniques. So I'll probably just drop these in whenever I kind of think about them. But after this question, I was thinking about unexpectedness. And I think that can go in either action or character. When you go against stereotypes, that's interesting and it can be funny. So if you've got, you know, a lion who thinks he's a kitten or the opposite, they're both funny. Um, Or the unexpectedness of you're taking us down one path and then you completely flip it and take us down another. So think about where you're going what is the expected outcome and what's the opposite outcome? And is that funny? You know, how can we create humor from unexpectedness? I think that's really cool. And against stereotypes, something else is just um, observations as well, I think. So I'll keep dropping in humor techniques because I don't actually have a list of them. I probably should, <laughs> but I kind of just take, um, I just, I do a lot of research. And when I was speaking, you know, so I speak to Adam and Adrian about humor. And when I was interviewing Rove as well, he was what he was talking to me about the unexpectedness of humor. So you take them down one path and you completely flip it um, on the other path. And that's where humor comes from because people are like, oh, I didn't expect that. And that's when we think humor is clever. Question six, Marissa also asked, do you include notes for some illustrations? She'd like to do a graphic novel for NaNoWriMo, but wondering if it's best to focus on words and add illos later, but she tends to think visually. So I like to put very little illustration notes in my picture books because I really want the illustrator to do their thing without feeling bossed around or fenced in by me, who knows nothing about illustration except, oh, that looks cool, you know, and I'm so glad I did that with my extraordinary mum because you know, Alexandra Colombo came back with these really cool illustrations where the mum and the daughter were doing yoga, but then her images had the animals doing yoga. In My Epic Dad, there is not in any part of the manuscript any reference to the dog, 
but Marina Varola put this gorgeous dog who has this amazing personality just through its facial expressions and we called it killer just for funsies and the kids when I read it to school they're like we want a picture book of that dog we love that dog and we'd find the dog on every page so there's a real power to illustrations that I kind of don't want to be a part of because I want the illustrator to own their part of the book when it's really important of course like I think we said I think this was James's idea hey Marina can you put um marshmallows on the snake's tail as a marshmallow stick like that's really funny right and so we you know if we think of really funny ideas and I think Mary thought of the the name of the boat just squidding so when we have these really funny or you know what we think is funny ideas and we want them included we'll throw them at the illustrator but for me personally I really like the the illustrator to put on a story on top of the story that you've already got I've not written a graphic novel so I can't tell you what you should do for that and it really depends on your publisher as well I have been involved in the publishing of two graphic novels, uh, one by Christy Byrne and Rebel Challenger and one by Joel McCarrow and Wayne Bryant. They're yet to be released. They'll be released in 2024. And I know that in a manuscript, because they're often script-like in a graphic novel, it already sort of lends itself to illustrations. But I know that both authors had put in probably a few more illustrator notes than you would when you're writing a picture book or a jfic or when i am but i think people are different people have different levels of vision of you know how much input they want to have and this is just my personal opinion i think for me it's worked very well um in picture books just giving the illustrators space to do whatever they want then coming back and being so wonderfully surprised this junior fiction novel oh i can finally tell you that jules faber is going to be illustrating this so that was on socials last week super excited i've always wanted to work with jules so we'll have a little illustrator episode later on i'll bring jules in but as if i'm gonna tell jules what to do you know jules has sold three million books <laughs> he's collaborated on weirdo which they're up to you know uh book 20 plus i think I'm not going to tell Jules what to do. Um, why would I do that? It's like telling a doctor how to take out my appendix. I'm just going to, I'm going to have a chat to Jules, of course. I'm going to talk about character. I'm going to do this over probably a coffee, hopefully a few, maybe a burger, but in no way am I going to tell Jules what to do. And I didn't want to collaborate with Jules to tell him what to do. I wanted to collaborate with Jules because I wanted his magic on my book. So that's just my opinion. So, but definitely check in with your publisher. We're all different. Um, so now I'm going to go down the path of early readers. This is terrifying, right? Because your manuscript is, oh, you know, not quite a zero draft, but it's really early. And then you're sending it out to people to read and it's half, like it's not half baked, it's like three quarters baked. It's terrifying. And I sent mine to Rob McDonald, RWR McDonald who is amazing and he had this kind of dark humor which I really trusted and he'd offered to read it I, I do hate asking people to read my work if you know they're busy or they don't really want to so the, I always take people up on their offers and then you know give them the offer too um but I think <clears throat> it has to be someone you trust has to be someone who gets what you're trying to do and I didn't know this until I got his feedback back but you need someone to be truthful but kind and that's exactly what Rob was. And when he gave me the feedback, it's like, oh, my God, that's what I needed. Someone to be truthful, but also kind. So his comments 
you know, they were like, oh, have you thought about this? Or maybe you need more of this. But they were also, oh, this is heaps funny. Oh, I love this bit. So they were really balanced. And so I think I really appreciated that. And it didn't make me feel like, oh, this is a pile of dog manure. I don't even, is that right? Cow manure, dog poo. Um, this has actually got something. And so it was it was okay, but it was really daunting. But you know what? I, re- I realised some things about my writing, which I didn't realise even though I'd read this thing four bazillion times. So we both agreed that I just love character. I love creating character. I love creating funny characters. I'm not too bad with dialogue and the characters, you know, we agreed they worked and they were great and they were fun and they were likable. So I was like, yes, tick. What I didn't realise was that I was really hopeless at setting. And so Rob would be like, this is really funny, but where are they? So I had this joke of, you know, my book, I've got these great characters, but they're just floating in space because I haven't grounded them anywhere. <laughs> and even after I did include more setting into this book, you know, my editor still came back on edits round one and two saying, oh, I think you need to up the ante on the setting here. I think you need to ground, you know, your characters or your reader more in this setting. Makes total sense because when I read a book and it's focused on setting, I'm so bored, right? I've never been able to read any of the Tolkien books as much as he is, I'm sure, a genius because I just can't read pages and pages of description. It hurts my brain. So therefore, I kind of skip that in my own writing. However, it's really important to have setting (laughs) in your books. So that's something I'm really working on. It's probably something I'm always going to have to work on because I'm really focused on characters and jokes and all that kind of stuff. But at least I have a real awareness of that now. So now that my my next drafts, when I write them, I'm going to be very careful about really grounding the reader in setting and really taking the time to describe it. I'm never going to describe setting in four pages. I will struggle to do it in half a paragraph, but I know that I need to do this now. So that was just really eye-opening stuff about your writing. And if you can just keep learning more and more and more about your own writing and your shortcomings and your things that you're good at, I mean, how can't you get better, right? So he really helped improve that. And then, you know, the editor agreed. So it was really nice to get that affirmation of, okay, this is what I'm doing well, and this is what I'm not doing so well. And writing is one of those things that, you know, can always be improved and it's really hard to measure but you've got to trust the people that you ask for advice otherwise kind of what's the point so next i'm going to talk about in episode three i'm going to talk about feedback from the publisher Uh, we talked a little about this um, but i'll go into more depth about what i did and then we'll look at editing as well depending on how long episode three is i'm just kind of going by the seat of my pants here i don't really have a script i have some dot points to talk about so i don't know episode three we're going to talk about feedback and edits but i don't know exactly where it's going to go until i've finished talking on the episode (laughs) so i hope episode two gave you some insights um into your questions and into you know where i'm up to in my writing and and early readers and how really important they are and again if you have any questions drop them on socials i'll do my best to answer them if i don't know i'll ask someone that i do know or i'll just give you my humble opinion Thanks for listening. Good luck with your writing. And I really am interested in your journey of writing too. I mean, I know I wear lots of hats. I talk to authors on the podcast. I, you know, work in a little bit of publishing here and there in Larrikin House. Um, But I'm also a writer. So despite all of that stuff, I get it. You know, I get the rejections. I get the hard work. I get the manuscripts that never get anywhere and sit in, I'd like to say draw, but really your desktop forever. 
Um, and I get that, you know, I have been rejected as much as anybody. So I think kind, positive, truthful feedback is really, really good. But I'm also going to talk in episode three about brutal feedback because <laughs> I like it. Many people don't. <laughs> and Adrian Beck always tells me I am something wrong with me. But I love brutal feedback because I think as long as it's, you know, not continuous, as long as like just here and there, I can take it because I see it as this is going to make me better. And I think sometimes that brutal feedback can make you really better. So fingers crossed. But I'll talk about that next episode, amongst other things. So ask me some questions and good luck with your writing too. See you next episode.